Thank you so much, Daryl, for that prayer this morning. And that leads us right into our study of the Word of God. And I would like you to turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And we're going to look this morning at verses 1 through 14. The Gospel of John, chapter 14, and verses 1 through 14. Last week, we looked at the very last section of chapter 13. Now we're just continuing right into this section. Let me, I want to just get right into this passage this morning. There's a lot here. And so let me read for you verses 1 through 14 of John 14. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the upper room, and this is what he says. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father." Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Well, our first point this morning is Jesus is the way. John 14.1 is a beautiful and comforting verse. But it can only be fully understood in the context of the passage that comes before it. John 14.1 is a verse that you would find in, like, Christian greeting cards that bring comfort and hope. It's a verse many Christians have memorized, and it is a beautiful verse, but knowing what comes before us helps us to understand it even fuller. Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Now let's think back to chapter 13 to last week, especially the last part of verse, or excuse me, chapter 13. Jesus said, it was time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And if you recall from last week, Jesus was about to receive his greatest glory in what would seem to us to be the most contradictory way, and that is in his death his resurrection, and his ascension. 
He was about to take upon himself the sins of the world. He was about to be crucified to pay the full penalty for our sins. And in that, he would receive his greatest glory. Jesus tells his disciples in the upper room that he's about to leave them. And he's going to leave them for now. And they can't follow him now. But they will follow him afterwards. They will follow him later. Jesus is saying to them, I'm going to my death. I'm going to heaven. You can't follow me now, but you will follow me someday. You will follow me when you die and when you come to heaven. And then Peter expresses his devotion for Christ and said, Christ, or Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. In fact, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, Peter, will you really lay down your life for me? He says, before the rooster crows, before the third watch of the night, you will have denied you even knew me three times. And then he tells the disciples that the primary distinguishing mark of a disciple of Jesus is no longer going to be their close physical proximity to him, but it is going to be their love for one another. So imagine being one of the disciples in the upper room, and he's saying, I'm leaving. Things aren't going to be the same anymore. Everything is about to change. No longer will they know you're my disciple because you are physically with me. Remember, they knew the twelve and the other close followers of Jesus because wherever Jesus went, they were there. And whatever Jesus was doing, they were there, but no longer. Now, the most important characteristic of a disciple of Jesus will be their fierce, fierce love for one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then on top of all that, as we saw in chapter 13, Jesus says, one of you, one of the twelve, One of you is going to betray me. And though they didn't understand that fully, they did know there was a betrayer among them. And we know from our study of the Gospel of John, it is clearly the man named Judas Iscariot. So, their hearts are troubled. Jesus is about to to leave them. One of them is going to betray him. They can't go where he's going, at least not now. And in that context, Jesus says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. I know they are troubled, but let them not be troubled. Believe in God. Believe that God is everything you have learned he is. Believe in God. Believe also in me, which has the great inference that Jesus himself is God. Your hearts are troubled. Don't let them be. Believe everything I have taught you. Believe that God is everything I have said he is, that I am everything I said I am, that I am God himself. And what a great reminder to all of us this morning when our hearts are troubled, when we go through times of suffering and times of anxiousness and anxiety, the best thing we can do is believe God. Believe that he is everything he claims to be and that everything he says in his word is absolutely true. 
And so he tells them in verse 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Don't let your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house are many rooms. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Now it's interesting. In my Father's house are many rooms. Some translations have many dwelling places. Some translations have many mansions. And it really all means the same thing. In heaven, there's going to be, stay with me here this morning, one house, many rooms. Are you with me? One house, many rooms, dwelling places, mansions, however you want to interpret it here. So most have understood this to be that the Father's house is going to be one great big house that has many spacious, almost like apartments. Not apartments like we think of them, but huge places. One for you, and one for you, and one for me. And he's saying, I know this is hard. I know this is difficult. I am leaving. I am about to be glorified. But please know, in my Father's house, there's a room for you. One house, many rooms. We will all be together, it appears, with somehow, some way, our own place. And if it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Verse 3, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I know you're troubled. Don't worry. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go away. But someday you're going to come be with me. I'm going to bring you to myself. I'm preparing a place for you. What comfort. We will be separated even as we today are separated physically from Jesus, but one day we are going to be with him. Now, verse 3, in most biblical commentaries, they agree that this is a reference to the second coming of Jesus. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. I think that's the primary interpretation here at the second coming of Christ, but certainly it also applies to our death. Because before the Lord returns, many of our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the centuries have already gone home. Some of you here, some of us here will go home before Jesus returns. And we will be with him. We will be in that place that he has prepared for us. But everything he says in the first three verses really sets up what he's about to say in the next verses. At a key moment... In the upper room discourse, Jesus presents himself as the way to God the Father. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and now I'm going to tell you how you get there. Now I'm going to tell you how you get there. Now, if you're not familiar with the term upper room discourse, it simply is a reference to what Jesus taught his disciples in the upper room the night before his crucifixion. And that's where he's at with them. The upper room discourse is just a term that Bible teachers have come up with over the years to describe this setting. 
It's found in the other Gospels, but most prominently in the Gospel of John. Some see the Upper Room Discourse as chapters 13 through 17. Others see it as primarily chapters 14 through 16, because chapter 13 talks about Jesus washing their feet, setting an example, telling them about the betrayer, telling them to love one another. Chapter 17 is Jesus' high priestly prayer. So you can look at it as chapters 14 through 16 or the whole thing, chapters 13 through 17. But what's important this morning is we are at a very key moment in what is known as the upper room discourse. In verse 4, Jesus says, now remember what he just told them. In my Father's house are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. And then he says, and you know the way to where I am going. Now there's something here this morning that I want you to hold on to throughout this whole sermon, and that is he is primarily talking in this whole section about the way. I just want you to hang on to that, and hopefully I'm going to be able to help you understand that as we go along. But the main thing that Jesus is talking about in this section is the way, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas, who was probably speaking on behalf of the other disciples, said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? They still were trying to grasp this. And it's hard for us to understand because we get to look back at all this biblical revelation, the unfolding of God's word. But they didn't have that back then. They still don't quite understand where he's going. So if they don't know where he's going, how can they know the way? So in a sense, this is a lack of understanding. But in a sense, this is also a good question. It's a good question on the part of Thomas, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And that leads us to verse 6. Verse 6, I think we would all agree, has to be considered one of the great verses in all of Christianity throughout the church age, throughout the time that, or ever since the time that our Lord taught this. Jesus says to Thomas, and in essence to all the disciples, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas, you want to know the way? I am the way. And notice he uses that little prefix, prefix, I am. We have seen that throughout the Gospel of John. This is Jesus' sixth of seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. When he calls himself I am, he is referring way back to Exodus chapter 3, where God appeared to Moses in the burning bush and said to him, I am who I am. And Jesus is claiming to be the ever-existent eternal God who appeared to Moses. And he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. We have seen in the Gospel of John, he said, I am the bread of life, chapter 6. He said, I am the light of the world, chapter 8. He said, I am the door, chapter 10. He said, I am the good shepherd, chapter 10. He said, I am the resurrection and the life, chapter 11. In chapter 15, he's going to say, I am the vine. The great I am statements of Jesus, and here 
he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I am the way. He isn't just saying that he's going to teach us the way. He isn't just saying that he's going to guide us in the way. He says, I am the way. I am the way. And it is a great reminder to us, though we've probably heard this hundreds of times in our Christian life, salvation is not a set of rules or rituals or principles. Salvation is Jesus. It is found in the person and work of Jesus. He said, I am the way. Then he says, I am the truth. And when he says, I am the truth, he's not simply referring to, I am what's true versus what is false, or I am true versus what is a lie. All that is certainly part of it. That's not primarily what he's saying here. When Jesus says, I am the truth, he is saying, I am the full disclosure of God. I am the truth about God. Now hold on to that as we go through this passage. You want to know what God is like? I am the truth about God. I am the one who discloses God. And not only that, but I am the one who gives you the truth about God's salvation. You want to know how the human soul is saved? You want to know how someone gets to heaven? I am the truth. I am the truth about God, and I am the truth about God's salvation. And then he says, I am the life. And he doesn't simply mean here, I'm alive versus someone who's dead. I created people and gave them life, though that, again, certainly can be part of it. That's not primarily what he's saying. When he says, I am the life, he is saying, I am eternal life. I am everlasting life. I am abundant life. I am a life, or I am new life, a life that is eternal, everlasting, and can only be found in me and is not natural to your being and can only be found in me. So I am resurrection life. You are born in sin. You are destined for the grave and for condemnation. But I am resurrection, salvation, life. Now, I want you to really stay with me right here. The most, as I just shared with you, the most important term here this morning is the way. The way. Because Jesus is the truth, and because Jesus is the life, therefore, he is the way. He is the way to the Father because he's the truth and because he's the life. And because he is the way, no one can come to the Father except through him. If he is the truth and he is the life, and therefore he is the way, then he can be the only way. And no one can ever come to the Father but through him. And so he logically says in verse 7, If you had known me, <clears throat> excuse me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. From now on you do know him and have seen him. 
because I am the way to him. And that leads us to our second point this morning. Show us the Father. Philip wants to see God the Father. And Jesus explains that he already has seen him. Verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Now Philip, most likely at this point, is excited. Jesus is the way to the Father. Jesus is going to show us the Father. So, Lord, let us see him. Let us see the Father. And, and most likely, Philip here is looking for some kind of theophany, which these men knew from their scriptures, which we now call the Old Testament. They knew that Jacob wrestled with God at Peniel. They know that Moses saw God in the burning bush. They know that Joshua was confronted by the commander of the Lord's army. They knew that Samson's parents had seen a number of times the angel of the Lord. And so they say, Philip says, show us the Father. Man, show us like our forefathers saw him. Let us see the Father. And in verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? What a great statement. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Philip, in this room right now, you're seeing something greater than Jacob saw. You're seeing something greater than Moses saw. You're seeing something greater than Joshua saw. You're seeing something greater than Samson's parents saw. Because if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is not saying that there is no difference between God the Father and God the Son. But what he is saying is this, that they are so intertwined together. They are so much in perfect harmony and unity that to see one is to see the other. You want to see God? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. You, know how, what, you want to know how God would act if he were a human being? Look at Jesus. Because if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. What a great statement. Philip, look at me. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And notice how this plays out in verses 10 and 11. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Remember, this is everything we looked at in chapters 5 through 10 of the Gospel of John. Over and over again, as Jesus confronted the Jewish religious leaders, he said, I am one with the Father. The Father sent me. Whatever the Father does, I do. Whatever the Father thinks, I think. Whatever the Father shows me to do, I do. He taught this over and over again, and he's just gently, lovingly, tenderly reminding his own disciples of this. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. If my words were not enough, 
Men, remember what you saw me do. Remember all of the miracles that you witnessed firsthand. If my words alone are not enough, let my works testify that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Now, what I want to do now is I want to move on through verses 12 through 14. It would be easy to stop at verse 11 because it kind of forms a section, but I want to go through verse 14 for a very specific reason. Verses 12 through 14 have been the source of a lot of discussion and debate throughout church history. But you must interpret the verses in the context of chapter 14. I want you, as a congregation this morning, to understand verses 12, 13, and 14 in light of everything I've just shared with you in the first 11 verses. In verse 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Now, there have been many Christians in the last 2,000 years plus, and there are many Christians even right now, who believe that when Jesus says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, that he is saying here, that we will also heal the sick, that we will also cast out demons, that we will also raise the dead, because those are the works that Jesus did, and we will do the same works that he did. And greater works than these will he do. And they believe that they can now do even greater works, more works than Jesus did when he walked the earth. Two problems with that interpretation, though it's very prevalent. Number one problem is hard to believe that any of us are going to do greater works than Jesus did. Son of man, God in human flesh, God almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, the sustainer of all things. I think it's really hard to say that we're going to do greater works than he did. Remember, he spoke to the winds and the waves, and they immediately obeyed him. I don't know of anyone today doing that. But you would have to take that position if you were going to use that particular interpretation. Second problem with that interpretation is it has nothing to do with John chapter 14, has nothing to do with John chapter 13. The context simply has nothing to do or even going on into chapters 15 and 16. It has nothing <clears throat> to do with us being able to do healings and casting out demons and raising people from the dead. I'm not in any way trying to be sarcastic this morning. I'm simply saying it's, it's an interpretation that doesn't fit the context. So what is he? So the burden's on us, on me. So if that's not what he's saying, what is he saying? I believe what he's saying is this. Now notice the very last phrase is because I'm going to the Father. When Jesus goes to the Father, he's going to be seated at the right hand, and he's going to send us what? The Holy Spirit. 
and the Holy Spirit is going to indwell each and every believer. Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. I believe the works that Jesus is referring to here is proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah and telling people he is the only way to salvation. We're going to do that just like he did. His miracles, I've shared this with you before, but it's so important. His miracles were to testify that he is the Messiah, that he is everything he claimed to be. Our work is to say, yes, he's the way. He is the only way to the Father. He is the truth. He is the life. Therefore, he is the way, and he is the only way to the Father. You can't be saved without him. I believe that's the work that we have been called to do. Jesus said, come unto me. Believe in me. I'm the spring of water. I'm eternal life. And we're to do the same works he do. Look to Jesus for salvation. And then it says, and greater works than these will we do. And let me tell you this morning, this verse is being fulfilled every single day of our lives because the greater works that we will do is we're going to take that gospel message that Jesus is the way and no one comes to the Father except through him. We're going to take that message to every unreached people group in all of the world. Don't miss it this morning, folks. This is a great missionary passage. This is a powerful missionary passage. We have our missions conference coming up in just a few weeks. And the reason we put so much emphasis on cross-cultural world evangelization is because that's what we're called to do. We're called locally and in our nation and to the unreached people groups of the world to tell them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And the gospel is going forth now more than it ever has in the history of the world. And I don't think it's too far-fetched to say that the gospel has gone wild throughout the world. I believe those are the greater works that we're to do. We have the great privilege of being part of the taking of the gospel everywhere in the world. And it's going where it's never gone before in languages where it's never been understood before. And then in verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And again, people have taken those two verses, ripped it out of the context of this chapter and the chapter before, and basically used it to name it and claim it. Well, if I ask anything in Jesus' name, he's going to give it to me. It's not what he's saying. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Remember from last week, how was the Father glorified in the Son? The greatest glory that the Son has ever received is the glory of his crucifixion and resurrection. It is the glory of his crucifixion and resurrection when he took upon himself the sins of the world and completely paid the penalty for every single one of our sins. If you ask anything in his name, 
that is consistent with his glory, he will do it. So let me tell you something this morning. If you bow on your knees in prayer and you pray, you begin praying for the unreached Islamic people groups and the unreached Hindu people groups and the unreached Buddhist people groups and you begin praying for the unreached animistic people groups and you begin praying for those urban settings in major cities all around the world where secular humanist, humanism has a stronghold and you begin praying for them and you pray that God will break Satan's strongholds in those people groups that the gospel will penetrate those people groups, that Jesus' name and fame will be proclaimed in those people groups. Let me tell you something this morning. He's going to answer your prayer. He's going to answer your prayer. He promises to answer your prayer. The key verse here is verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And when you pray for people, and that doesn't have to be just unreached people groups, it can be your unsaved friends and relatives. When you pray that they will know this truth, he's going to answer your prayers. And he promises to do so. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, according to what I have just told you, I will do it. And I don't want you to misunderstand me this morning. Jesus obviously answers other kinds of prayers in my life and in your life. But when you see the strength and power of these two verses, he is primarily talking about the advance of the gospel everywhere in the world, that they might know the truth, that Jesus is the way. Again, the critical phrase in this whole passage is the way, the way. When the Holy Spirit comes and indwells every believer, their primary responsibility is to lead everybody to the way. That's the great work that we have been given I want to say this to all of us this morning. There is no greater work on the face of the earth than to lead people to the way. There is no greater work on the face of the earth than to lead people to the way. I want you to think, as we close, of a very familiar verse, one that many of you have probably memorized, but I want you to look at it with fresh eyes this morning. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, but you will receive power, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will heal people, cast out demons, and raise people from the dead. It's not what it says. It's not what it says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you, and you, will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, I am the way. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray together. Father, We thank you that Jesus is 
the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, Lord, how we thank you and praise you for John 14, 6. Remind us constantly. Remind us as a church constantly there is no other way to the Father than Jesus. May our highest priority be to lead people in every part of the world to the one who is the way to the Father. Every day of our lives and every time we meet together, let us exalt the name of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.